Hello, everybody. Welcome to Guys 5 Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelicoon. You are listening to episode 151, and tonight we are covering the top five horror movies of 1975. Um, so, Frank, uh, what do you think about this list tonight? Um, I think out of all ten lists from this year, this is the least horror-heavy of the list. Um, I don't know that most of these movies are horror with like some kind of other borderline element to them mm-hmm. or have another element. And I think they're like borderline horror really. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from one movie, which is solidly like a horror movie in the vein of other stuff we've talked about. And then one movie that has other elements to it. But when you look at like 75 as a whole, it's kind of a weird year for horror. Because uh, there wasn't a whole lot that came out this year that's really notable, um, aside from the five that we're talking about, <clears throat> that are like firmly horror movies. So, a lot more social commentary, I think, at this point. Um, and I don't know necessarily why that is, but um, yeah, just it was. I mean, I enjoyed watching all five of these movies again, some of which I had not seen in a really long time. Um, but. Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting list to watch for that fact, and that there wasn't a whole lot of, I mean, really, there's maybe one traditional monster in this whole list, right? Um, you don't have a lot of like. Anyway, we'll get into it when we talk about the movies individually. Yeah, but... yeah, I um, yeah, it was interesting for me because um, one of the most famous movie probably on this list, I I don't I'd never actually seen it all the way through. I'd only seen parts of it. Um. So I, I hadn't seen anything like fully on this list, um, and yeah, they they were all interesting watches to one degree or another. Um, the the one theme I noted out of uh, the three of these movies that I wanted to ask you about was uh, a lot of them involve like are like cult, like involve cults or are cult adjacent in some way. Um, any ideas why, like? We we did that episode, right? The top five movies involving cults, um, horror movies involving cults, like a couple years ago. And like, wh- what do you think? Maybe the fascination is in this time period with that. Would that be related to uh, commune living and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, there was a rise in spiritualism again around mm-hmm. this time um, globally. Um, in terms of people being more interested in the ideas of, um, like, almost the same thing as what happened in, like, the teens and 20s, where you had mediums and people communing with the dead, and then you get sort of, like, the initial, and they they talk about it in several of these movies, um, just as kind of, like, whatever, third business when they're, like, setting up the movies, and the fact that there are, like, the idea that these communes and you know like like Hari Krishna and um when is Jonestown? Jonestown's mid 70s right? 78 so there's these cults that have like formed that people are aware of of people who are sort of banded together under this almost like false like non-religious spiritualism Mm -hmm. um you're still a few years away from the true like rise of like the satanic panic era but i think that that's also something that people are discussing is the idea of like 
Satanism and sure um anton lavey has risen to prominence during this time and has written the satanic bible um and is like a public figure that people are discussing in terms of being like the head of the satanic temple um so there's a lot of that stuff that's going on uh you're really in like the the true like post-vietnam era of the united states so um there's a lot of like social consciousness and you're in the middle of the women's revolution in the United States, like the women's lib revolution. So um, there's a lot of like real like feminism and like post-feminism, I think, happening at this time with um, like Alice B. Toklas and um, what's her name? Uh, Julia uh, Steinem and all those people. So it's just a lot of like, you have the whole excesses of the 70s going on at this point. Um, so the rise of disco and sort of this era of like excess in terms of whatever, the way people are behaving. Um, but then there's also these other like sort of like counter reactions to that, which in terms of like the spiritualism and the people grouping together under I don't want to say like false religious pretenses because whatever, what's a like a true religious pretense, but um, you know, like these man-made, like homemade <clears throat> cults rising up. The the Moonies, I think, were around this time too, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds right. Um so yeah, there's a lot of that stuff that's in the public consciousness. And of course, you know, horror movies tend to draw from whatever is like relevant at the time. And you still have some, I mean, you're a couple years now from The Exorcist, so there's certain things in terms of, like, demons and whatever that are um, being, it's kind of like exploitation off of, like, that genre. Um, Giallo is in kind of, like, reaching its, like, heyday at this point. Um, so there's several Giallo movies this year, um, including one that makes the list that might be the maybe the most important giallo movie of all time um definitely one of the best mm-hmm. um and then also the rise of uh television as a medium um to like make movies for where you're not like releasing movies from they don't have to be released theatrically you know like you're having stuff that's being released on television and um it's not just like sitcoms and the news or whatever or variety shows like there's you know one of the movies on here is like a made for tv movie that um, surprising when you watch it to think that it was aired on like network television um but you'll see a lot more of that like through the 70s and mid to early to mid 80s um and from weird places too like disney makes a bunch of horror movies in the mid to late 70s and early 80s that were aired on television um NBC has several uh, from that time period. Um, so yeah, it's just it's it's just a weird time, like the mid seventies. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's historically right. It's considered to be like one of the more chaotic times in you know United States history. Um, so yeah, it makes sense that that kind of comes through uh, in in the film. You also have that. I don't know if like back to nature is the right way to put it, but this idea that people were trying to get out of the cities and like almost like a post hippie 
um, like yuppie naturalism kind of mm-hmm. happening. Um, you know, like people were really into like being artsy and crafty and it's like photography and macrame and decoupage and sure. like all this shit that like our parents were into when they were in their, you know, late teens, early twenties. Um, that was kind of not quite sort of like, cause they were a little too young to be truly like in the, like the summer of love, flower power era hippies, but it's kind of almost like a return to that. Mm-hmm. Um, cause again, like disco is not quite in full swing yet. So you don't have that hedonism aspect to it, but it's kind of a, Oh, you know, I'm going to learn how to like develop my own pictures and make my own blankets and shit like that. So there's kind of like a naturalism slash post hippieism. That's also mixed with the fact that these people are now like earning money and becoming the, you know, the boomers are becoming like the major economic force mm-hmm. in the country. So, right. That's good analysis. Uh, my less uh, insightful question was, why are, why is there so many references to the devil and Satan in the titles of all these movies in the seventies? But I think you answered that question yeah. um, already. I mean, it, like, so Anton LaVey was a really prominent figure in the mid to late seventies in terms of the um, church of Satan in California. I think Los Angeles is where the church of Satan was based um, because it was shocking. And so you had these people who were kind of turning away from traditional like Christian and that's why you have like the Hare Krishnas and the rise in, you know, Eastern religion in the country around this time, people embracing like Buddhism. And um, this is the beginning of like Scientology around this time. So it's easy because the devil is like the recognizable like antagonist to most like Western religions that it's easy just to use the devil as the, you know, the jumping off point for like your um, and it actually, like, it continues for a long time after that, that, you know, Satanism is the the thing culminating in the 80s, you know, like when we were children, where you have the um, the satanic panic right. um, throughout the early to mid 80s of people like actually thinking there was like mass, like rituals, sacrifices. And um, so this is kind of the opening, like, sort of beginning of that from a fantastical point of view. Um that sort of led to it being almost like like mass hysteria where people were really thinking that was happening like all the time yeah there's certainly no mass hysteria nowadays with any of that um <clears throat> i'm gonna take your comment as sincere <laughs> um yeah, just to follow up, uh, yeah, the Moonies expansion was uh, in the beginning of the 1970s um, in the United States. Um, and They uh, weren't, churches. they didn't, oh, they didn't do the mass, like, because they moved to South Korea, is that right? It was always, <laughs> yeah, it actually, I, I, I didn't know much about the Moonies until I was just kind of like quickly scanning here. Um, it, um actually started in um japan and south south korea and the japan um it, it actually made a seinfeld joke make sense to me um that i never under fully understood before um about the reverend sung young moon yeah um but uh, they were they were doing all the mass weddings in um yeah in south korea like on the beach yes. or whatever yep yep yeah 
Um, and then uh, Church of Satan was uh, founded in San Francisco um, in 66, um, although its headquarters now are in Poughkeepsie, uh, New York. So, um, <clears throat> but yeah, it did start on the West Coast there. So. so interesting. Well, we'll talk about it when we get into the movie, but um, there's a slight connection to one of the movies. Well, not sure. even slight, but... Right, right. Um, Yep. So let's go ahead and just jump right into that. It's a good segue. Uh, number five on your list uh, is The Devil's Reign, directed by Robert Foost. It stars William Shatner, Ernest Borgnine, Eddie Albert, Ida Lupino, and Tom Skerritt. Um, has a 17% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 34% from audiences. So you want to tell us a little about this movie and uh, why it made the list? Both probably um, earned, really. Um the most like b movie on this list by a wide margin um devil's reign is a low budget um satanic horror uh cult film um where there's this family that lives in the desert that is in possession of this medallion that's needed by this um satanic cult led by ernest borgnine of all people um and he needs to gain possession in order to bring the devil into the world um and they need to keep the medallion away from him so um initially the family is uh shatner's son and the mother and what is it like their uncle or grandfather or something um are kind of beset by uh, these Satanists in their little Arizona, I think, is where it takes place. Um, ranch. Um, Scarrett comes in, who's like the, I don't know if estranged is the right word, but he's like the family member that sort of like left the family, um, but has to come in to rescue him. Um, Borgnine is this scenery chewing cult leader um, whose ultimate goal is to lure Scarrett to. Uh, their abandoned town in the desert, um, which Scarrett goes to, but ends up like kind of like resting power away from uh, Borgnine um, through this idea that they have. Let me see if I can explain this. They have this jar that contains like what the souls of people that have been possessed by the cult. Yes. And the power of like the souls of those people will lead to the resurrection of um the devil or the not resurrection even but like the allowing the devil to take possession of Ernest Porkenine um to sort of like bring about the end of the world. So it's one of those movies where it's hundred percent like a mystery science theater three thousand style movie where something you know it's ridiculous dialogue and silly like set pieces um borgnine is made up as the devil in multiple scenes Mm -hmm. and looks like a reject from um like the dark crystal maybe or labyrinth or something um because you know ernest borgnine's a pretty ridiculous looking dude anyway Mm -hmm. and then you put like makeup and fake fur and um ram's horns on him and it's it's it doesn't do much to like lower the ridiculousness factor. Um, Scarrett is probably like the most. Hmm, 
normal acting actor right. in this movie. <laughs> yes, like it was Scarrett is the one that's like one of these things is not like the others. No, right. See, he's not trying to chew any scenery. <laughs> he's just playing it completely straight as if this is the most important movie of his career and um that's probably story. might 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 have been at this point in time. maybe uh, it's a good he's good at it though i so 100 percent, it's not like a great movie um it's not even a nostalgia pick because i didn't see this movie until like a lot later in my life um within the past uh, five or six years, I guess I've seen this movie for the first time, but I think this movie is so much fun. Like Ernest Borgnine is so over the top and like the counterbalance of Borgnine paired with Scarrett in a lot of scenes and just Borgnine in general, like kind of being this like ridiculous, like almost parody of what you would think a cult leader is. Um, I don't know. I just think I think it's a really fun movie. Um, relatively low budget, but what they do with their special effects, I think, is really cool. Um, I mean, even the tagline for the movie doesn't make any sense because it's like, "Fuck, what is it?" It's um, heaven, heaven help us all when the devil's rain. Like, which doesn't yes. even make any sense because it's rain as in precipitation, right? Um, and again, the idea is that. All these... well, it's, it's playing on the idea of devil's reign though or like when the no that doesn't work either it doesn't because yeah, it has it, an apostrophe it, yeah right it, it doesn't work right. it makes no sense whatsoever right um but you know the premise is that all these souls are trapped in this this friggin like giant earthenware jar um and when you know you shatter the jar like it releases like all this energy or whatever and um, Borgnine needs like the jar to, I guess, power up or I don't know. It's 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 a ridiculous premise, but it's fun to watch. Um, you're not gonna like walk out of it thinking you've seen some piece of great cinema or even like good cinema, but it's super enjoyable. It makes me laugh. Like the different scenes, I really appreciate the. We talked to. Did we talk about Equinox, right? In one of the, like, in 70, I think. 1971, yeah. yeah. It's similar to that in feel to me, where it's like, these people had this idea, and, like, they were like, oh, well, what if this happens? And there's this cult in the desert, and, you know, they're trying to bring the devil back. Um, and they just didn't have the technical prowess or filmmaking ability to pull it off in a believable way, but they do it in a way that's fun and enjoyable to watch. And it's, you know, just like a campy, kitschy, um mid-70s like B movie. And this is something where <clears throat> you didn't you saw a lot of it through Roger Corman in the 60s. Roger Corman, William Castle, and like all the um low budget like B directors of the 50s and 60s. And it's the same spirit here where it's just it's low budget filmmaking, um, using like locations that they probably got for free or there really wasn't any like oversight on where they were filming um <clears throat> and really low budget practical effects but just you know fun and enjoyable i i like this movie a lot so yeah it's um yes it it is it is fun um i i, I give you that it is it is a ridiculous movie i think on a lot of different levels um i think shatner's 
scene chewing isn't the right word for him. Um, it's just, it's not even scene chewing. It's just plain over. Like, I think yeah. Borg 9 tried to make that character, like, I'm going to do my own thing with this character and I'm going to, like, you know, do these things. And, like, Shatner just is just overacting as Shatner. Oh, yeah, sure. Tends to do. Um, and it's, some of his stuff is absolutely just wild in this, like, in terms of how he chooses to deliver lines. Um, after getting over the shock of how how, how bad it is, um, yeah, it was a fun ride overall because I laughed a number of times um, in, like, a it's so bad it's good type way. I mean, so this is Shatner in between the Star Wars television or Star Trek television series and the revival of Star Trek as a film series, you know, a couple couple years later, 78, 79, I think it was Star Trek the Mission Picture, I think, right? it's, 80, I think it's 80, but um, yeah. Um, so Shatner approaches every role at this point like he's reading beat poetry, you know, in some cafe in like New York or something. Like it's all very, and it's something that became like that, that like Patois or whatever became his calling card in a lot of ways that he's talking like this and everything you know what i mean like mm -hmm. and it's very um performance art-esque like when you watch him watch him do it but i don't know i mean i think that you know i idol Lapino's in it you've got scarrett in an early role um borgnine it's just it's it's such a clash of like different styles almost like i don't know very young, really enjoy very young travolta and i think yeah. his very first role if I, not I it's I it's really early yeah um so the connection yes, is the very first role it's real yeah. the connection here um which is interesting is that they actually brought levey in as a consultant for the um satanic magic aspects of this movie um in order to get some i guess element of like realism to it quote unquote but you would find out much later in life, like when LeVay kind of like dropped the pretense, LeVay was never like a believer in Satanism as a true like, like he didn't believe that they had magic powers or that they were whatever. I mean, right. he was just more about being like a counterculture force to sort of kind of expose the hypocrisy of Christianity at the time. Sure. Um, so using this guy who had kind of pulled off of Aleister Crawley's stick. And it sort of like built himself as the modern, like the latter day, like dark wizard kind of figure, like Lord of Satanism. Um, and that's why it's so ridiculous, like all this stuff. Because I imagine that like LeVay was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, we got these things that we trap souls in, man. And like, it's, it's where we get our power. And like, right. oh, this is this good shit. And, like writing it all right. down. And, right. Um, but yeah, really fun movie. Uh, to me, probably the most fun movie by a wide margin on this list in terms of just like i love sitting down and watching like b and z grade horror movies um i take a lot of enjoyment and just you know especially when you can tell that the people that were making the movie legitimately were trying to do a good job like it's not just like a crass you know like i'm gonna film a movie and turn a profit really quick they're like these people are legit like yeah like we're we're making something here um and just unfortunately that's not the case but um you know a lot of fun yeah yeah you're 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 a big fan of um 
of those type of movies. So I am. Because it's like, I think that, I, I think if you love movies in general, at some point in your life, you had this idea that like, I could make a movie. Like, here's an idea. Sure. Like, I could film this, you know, save money by doing whatever. Like, there's all kinds of things you think about that you could do right. to make a movie on the cheap. And like, it's really kind of almost inspiring to see people who are actually able to you know to really do that like raise which you know we talked about this when we talked about um we did the list of movies that i'm indifferent to one of the reasons why i'm indifferent to desperado is because i love that you know that feeling of el mariachi right where it is seriously it's like here's a guy that was selling his blood in order to um you know at the time thinking like this is my only shot like i'm just gonna make this movie and that might be it um and i like that feeling like that i'm just gonna put it out there we talked about it with the quad dead zone you know when mm-hmm. we talked with orion it's it's the same feeling yeah. i mean this is much more polished than that specifically but um still the same idea so yeah uh, and just to follow up you were correct uh, motion picture 79 star trek motion picture so all right, number four. I have no idea why I know that because I have no love for Star Trek, but yeah, I don't know why I know Jones Town seventy-eight. But yeah, um, it, who knows? It's like that Jeopardy type shit where it's like you know the answers to things you don't even know how you know it. All right, number four on your list is The Stepford Wives. is directed by Brian Forbes. It stars Catherine Ross, Paula Prentice, Patrick O'Neill, and Peter Masterson. It has a sixty-eight percent from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a sixty-five percent from audiences. So you probably the most famous movie on this list you want to yeah. tell us a little bit about it and uh why you put it on the list most famous and least horrific i think um maybe even like the least horror horror movie of the entire 70s sure um creepy in concept obviously yeah it's it's definitely like it's a mundane psychological thriller and not mundane yeah. in the sense of like boring or whatever but yeah. just like very much rooted in it's like a twilight it's like an extended twilight zone sure yeah just very specific reality with like slight like creepy elements that eventually escalate into something like Mm -hmm. a lot more but it's really the last seriously last 20 minutes of the movie where the true like horror element comes into play so it's a very slow burn um so anyway it follows a family uh edgerton's i think um mother and father and their two children of indeterminate gender um i think they're daughters um eberhardt eberhardt thank you who moved from new york city to the quiet town of stepford um mostly at the will of the father who again is having this like back to nature like i want to get away from the rat race um he's a lawyer uh, so they have money and he just wants to go and move to this place where they can raise their children um in peace and quiet and not have to deal with like the weirdness and the violence and the dirt of the city um because this is a time period mid 70s to mid 80s where before like ed koch becomes mayor of new york and sort of like cleans things up where new york is really like a a, a dirty place um it's probably like what you consider the most iconic new york stuff um from film which is like the trash the graffiti the drugs the crime like all that stuff that sort of has kind of been pushed out in new york in the modern day so anyway, so they moved to the town of Stepford. Um, Stepford is a very sleepy, quiet community. Everyone is very friendly, but very friendly in almost like a superficial kind of way. Um, 
the mother is this like vibrant sort of like bohemian artiste that she's a photographer and she's really into capturing like all that weirdness and chaos of the city um so immediately feels um sort of like suppress like suppressed kind of and uh, like emotionally and artistically suppressed like by moving to this small town um she befriends this other woman who again is this sort of cut from a similar cloth where she's outspoken and brash and very much um, they're very much models for like what i consider like the mid-70s feminist woman um which is someone it's it's kind of like a modern day equivalent of um the stupid asshole's name in the awakening um whatever that protagonist is like this woman who's kind of like under the oppressive yoke of a man but is like always like bridling against it sort of i should know Um, that considering how many damn arguments we've had over that yeah well i'm glad you forgot because fuck that book um yeah anyway so they form this kind of small collective with each other um kind of a women's club in the town there exists this men's club that the husband is like kind of immediately drawn into of all the husbands of the town um which is sort of secretive it's got kind of like a like a masonic feel to it um with secret meetings and stuff but the husband himself while being like moderately clueless as to like his wife's needs is never presented as a bad guy um and to the point where at one point when she really feels like they just need to get out of town because she really feels like stifled and <clears throat> creeped out by a lot of elements he you know he agrees like okay you know you can go house hunting we'll find some place to move you know let's do it before the kids have to go back to school in the fall so for a lot of the movie it's mostly just these two women kind of bonding with each other <clears throat> and sort of trying to draw the other women of stepford out um to the point where they form this organ this club where they meet together and they have another a third woman they find that um she's what a divorcee like a wealthy divorcee or she's like estranged she's, from her husband but she's yeah the tennis playing wife you mean yeah yeah uh-huh. um who's also similar to them where she's not really like but every other white white wife in stepford is kind of a june cleaver um wholesome they want to bake they want to clean you know they all kind of wear these like gingham print dresses with a like a slight like bouffant hairstyle and very like immaculate yeah. makeup dinner's on table at six yeah no dust in the house or... yeah I've, so there's actually like my my favorite scene in the movie i think um just because it's it's both it's really like the first kind of creepy scene in the movie but it's also hilarious is they um eberhardt right uh, the wife kind of browbeats this guy who's a linguist in town to getting his wife and these other women she like agrees to record herself saying these different words um she agrees to do that if he will get these women to come and like you know attend their club meeting of the women's club and it breaks down into an end dust commercial sort of where the one woman's like let me tell you i was using end dust and it took my dust right away i would never use anything else in fact if they if i ever become a famous celebrity and they come to me and say will you do a commercial i will do it for free and so then all these women are like oh my god end dust like oh it's amazing 
oh, it saves me so much time in my baking. And um, oh, what's the actor? It's not Paul Apprentice. It's um, what's the actress name that plays? Anyway, Catherine Ross. Yeah, is like horrified almost. Yeah like stunned that she can't get these women to talk about like their feelings or their emotions or you know how their husbands are kind of like controlling their lives because they all just want to talk about how great you know this cleaning chemical is so right right anyway so the end result is that the men of stepford um there's a large technological presence um and it's another i i think maybe maybe a reaction because this is a ira levin novel um, from 72 that this is based on and I think maybe a reaction to kind of like that growing like communal feel of the Silicon Valley companies um, you know IBM and um, all those companies that were kind of rising to prominence through um, technology and basing themselves in these um, almost like cult-like communities because that's what sort of happens during that time um, shit there's another movie that's like a very similar premise. It's a made-for-TV movie that Wes Craven did, I think. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but it's the same idea where like they go to this town and the town is like seemingly idyllic. And it's based around this technology company. But so anyway, so what it turns out is that the men of Stepford are basically murdering their wives and replacing them with robots mm-hmm. who will just do whatever they want. So um at one point, uh Eberhardt goes back to find her friend. Um, cause her friend was going away to the plaza for the weekend. And then afterwards she comes and finds her and she's kind of become a Stepford wife, even though she was the one that was the most opposed to the idea to the point where like they go and find an old flame of Everhart's, um, who was a chemist to get her to get him to test the water, to see if there's something in it that's causing people to be like docile. And, um, so she becomes a Stepford wife. Um, and then Everhart like sort of unravels the whole thing that, um, these women are being replaced by these robots because uh, she stabs her friend um, who like goes into like a loop basically. Um, so the end result is that they turn her finally, she gets changed into a Stepford wife and the husband is, is happy and the children are happy. Um, and the final thing is there's this black couple that they talk about early because this old woman's talking about how liberal their town is because, right. you know, we have this black couple moving in and we, we're so accepting. Um, and the implication is like that they're the next to be um, subjected to it. So very dour ending in that sense that like there's no crumbling of the patriarchy or whatever because the patriarchy just kind of wins. Like, and ultimately, you know, these women are replaced and there's no real consequence to it. Um so very much like a message movie i think and very artfully feminist at its core um to kind of show <clears throat> in a way of the same thing as the awakening you know that how deadening it is you know for women to live um in a society where like their their needs and desires are sublimated by the needs and desires of like the man in their life you know and they're meant to be the person that like makes his home and Another really funny scene is where um, the two women go into a house. To, they're trying to recruit these women to join their club. And they go into this house and they can hear um, the husband and wife having sex upstairs. And she's like, oh, you're the king. You're the best baby. Yeah, right. No one's ever touched me like this before. Uh, oh, touch me again. You're so great. And it's like the ultimate like porno queen like fantasy script. 
um which which has to be it's funny it's like it's hard to imagine because this is the term stepford is so ubiquitous just in culture anymore to define the very thing that this you know movie is about um that you already know even though i hadn't seen it i already know the story and plus i had seen the cult kidman remake but um but it's like i knew what it is what is it like to watch the movie do you remember this potentially when you're younger did you know what this movie was about when you watched it the first time yeah i i saw the separate wives when i was sure. seven or eight maybe yeah. i don't know like very young yeah but you so I, knew. i've always known yeah it, it, it would be funny to me like what the reaction is supposed to trigger for that scene not knowing what if you didn't know what the story is about like, is it supposed to be, be, like, awkward and and funny? Like, you know, because it, later on it takes on such a darker meaning, right? Um, right. But it's, like, it, it's still funny to us nowadays because it's so over the top in terms of, like, you're the king and, like, you know, things have been mocked through the ages and stuff right. now. But it, it, those kind of things fascinate me when I actually stop back, like, step back and think about what would the reaction have been like in 1975 to not knowing what this movie was or what it was about and how people felt about it. I mean, I, so it's, it's funny because I, I haven't seen this movie in 20 some years. Um, long time it's been since i've seen this movie but i remember it really well because i saw it as a kid and it was always like a punchline to things like or it was parodied in somewhere like mad magazine would do you know and the replacement theory thing the re- replacement horror i guess if you want to call it that i don't want to say replacement theory because that's right. something else entirely right. Right. um stay away from now <laughs> right re- replacement horror is pretty pretty common during this era of like um the other you know we just watched a few years ago or a few months ago we talked about you have this you have um body snatchers you have um shit like the good son is coming up in a couple years um there's some other stuff that are like about my partner is replaced by some some other thing basically um and I guess maybe that's sort of a, maybe like a, almost like pre-80s ennui kind of thing where we're heading into the era of conspicuous consumption, where your material properties and, you know, you've come out of like the 50s where you had like the future home with microwaves and whatever. And you had the whole like, real big like revolution of people becoming hippies and abandoning and now all those people it's the um what's his name the abby uh shit what's that guy's last name abby hoffman yeah abby hoffman thing where you know you're a revolutionary until you find a way to make money off of it and now you're a conservative you know what i mean so sure right that's that was always my (laughs) argument is like you know it's like you have like you know you have those two routes that so many people took of like you know hoffman's like what make war on machines and you know like uh what leary's turn and turn on tune in drop out right um but then it's like you know you end up in that culture i mean christ it's the the iacocca trump culture um of the 80s sure and this is the in-between so it's like you have these people changing it makes perfect sense i, I see what you're saying it's like it, you have these people changing 
during that time and it's like you suddenly turn around to your partner at some point and you are, you're like who the fuck is this person like you know how has this happened how did you become how did you turn from this into this new thing and yeah, yeah it makes sense that kind of anxiety the other thing too and i actually just thought of this and i wonder i'd like to think more about this and maybe at some other point we can have an episode where we kind of discuss this stuff so you're seeing right now in this country over the past like decade plus this idea of a push to return to traditional values like we want to return to you know there's people that want to have a traditional like nuclear family structure and we need to rally against wokeness and the increasing like disintegration of the american family i mean that's been the case since the 80s sure. but you look at this and like what these men are trying to create in stepford is a return to the night the leave it to beaver like they want yes. to go back to the 1950s like i right. want my wife to have dinner on the table and be in the kitchen and yeah, right. make a clean house and i'm the king of the house when i come home and she serves my whims or whatever sure and this is maybe like the first reflection of that coming out of the you know where like texas chainsaw massacre is sort of a <clears throat> almost like like a death knell of like the summer of love type stuff um with these hippies and their you know venus and retrograde shit and this is like the opposite of that where these boomers who are now you know coming out of age and having money where they can buy what they want like they want to return to the values that their parents had which ultimately like who knows if that ever really existed anyway in outside of like marketing and just nostalgia but you know they want to go back to that like they don't want a liberated woman they want a woman who wants to be a wife and a mother and nothing else so sure no you're exactly right i mean um and look we're still it's like it's so odd like considering we're talking about you know nearly 50 years but um yeah i mean like we're, we're we're still dealing with a lot of that in terms of like how large the generation was we're still dealing with a lot of kind of boomer mentality and boomer issues because of how large the generation was so sure. um you're seeing it here in 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 the 70s i think you're exactly right and you're still seeing it to this day to some degree in the past yeah. 10 years um so yeah i mean it's like what we're two years after um you know uh roe v wade at this point in, in terms of this movie and you're having like you know what this movie's doing what these men want to do you're right is reverse reverse the women's gains of the previous 10 years um and they want to go back to the 50s yeah donna reed yeah that's right yeah that is really early you're right <laughs> i didn't think of it that way but it's it's a really early example of that. um so anyway much more of like a social commentary with the horror element mm -hmm. than a horror movie with social commentary um yeah i enjoyed really first re time i saw it i really enjoyed the hell out of this man like yeah. i'm glad i finally sat down and watched it yeah really well acted um and yeah it is it is almost like really 10 years from like the major push of like the gertrude sign alice b Douglas, um <clears throat> like real like strong feminist movement of like the late 60s um but yeah really well acted well directed um it's a pretty compelling william william golding i think is the the screenwriter here william um, goldman yeah mm -hmm. yeah so yeah, a guy who Bride, yeah. yeah responsible for all that stuff yeah but yeah oh. still worth watching um in the modern day and still relevant i think in a lot of ways um to stuff that we're going through now so yeah.
Yeah, absolutely. And um, free on Tubi, I believe, is where it I watched was it. on. Yeah, it was on Tubi. Probably still is. Tubi doesn't get rid of the stuff that often. Um, but yes, it was free on Tubi. Yep. So, now definitely worth checking out. Um, yeah, I think it probably slow for a lot of probably younger people. If I know my um, kind of reviews right, but um, but still like really well done. Like well, again, because you literally don't get to a true horror element. There's creepiness, but you don't get to a true horror element until. 25 minutes left in the film i think is when they really like reveal um her friend is being uh um being stepfordized or whatever sure um and then it's like more of even like a thriller horror at that point more than just like straight horror yeah if, if i had one complaint about it it probably would be that it's like it gets kind of like it gets into the horror elements and the creepy elements and then it kind of gets bogged down in their investigation again a little bit and it drags down the pacing some and then it ramps back up to the creepiness again and then it gets bogged down may, particularly during the middle section of it but um but it's still it's a really solid movie and um i think if you really like look at like the symbolism behind some of the stuff in it um uh really horrifying at times like uh when you really like step back to consider like some of the some of the specific scenes um but and and how the husband changes over time by the end of that movie um and what he's willing to go along with and what he's willing to do and all that kind of stuff is um it's a pretty horrific turn as well um mostly just because of like complacency too not that he necessarily because he's more than willing to kind of acquiesce to her needs sometimes and but he's clueless he's just such a traditional man sure that when it comes to him fighting for his wife or just kind of letting it happen he just sort of lets it happen he lets it happen and but by the end though he's so complacent that he just goes along with it completely and turns into just a fucking like wannabe rapist i mean yeah it's 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 pretty awful to watch but uh yeah really good movie yeah um, the cinematography on this actually, uh, Owen uh, Roisman uh, worked with Freakin a lot. Uh, we just talked about The Exorcist two months ago, but uh, he was the cinematographer on The Exorcist. He was the cinematographer on The French Connection. Um, later, he was cinematographer on Three Days of the Condor uh, Network. Um, so yeah, I mean, a pretty accomplished guy overall. Tootsie, one of your favorite movies. Oh man, fuck, uh, fuck a Tootsie, <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, worked with a lot of like really notable uh, directors throughout his career, and uh, does a really good job here, I think, as well, um, in terms of capturing um, everyone on screen and um, a lot of like I think really memorable scenes and memorable moments in this movie. Yeah. All right. Um, number one. Yes, number three on your list after like forty-five minutes of talking about the stuff for once. Um, Number three on your list is Race with the Devil. It is directed by Jack Starrett. Um, it stars Peter Fonda, Warren Oates, Laura, Loretta Swit, and Laura Parker. Has a 64% from critics, a 54% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about this one and why it's on your list? Those um, scores are a little more surprising to me because I definitely think this is a better movie than reflected there. Um, Again, this is very much in terms of tone similar to um the stepford wives and the idea that there's these this these two couples who have achieved a modicum of wealth um through business deals two brothers uh played by oats and fonda um who have bought an rv and they're going to go on this 
um, sort of like cross-country excursion to Colorado. Um, they're going to camp along the way and sort of just be with nature. And they've got the two guys are avid motocross bike riders. Um, so they're just going to like kind of leave their their traditional like city lives and go on this like sort of like camping tour in this RV. Um, which again, this was a big part of the seventies. Like if you look at um, like this is the rise of the mobile, <clears throat> not mobile home. That's not the way what they call them like re recreational vehicle yeah, RV. um also like around the time of like the idea of like the convoy type thing of oh, we're going to get out on the road and listen to country music and be on the open road and sort of like just live life um you know on our own terms uh kind of the smoking and the bandit idea of you know freedom um so there's two couple who uh, Fonda Oates, um, Loretta Swit, and whatever that other woman's name is. Laura Parker. Yep. Yeah. Um, really well acted, very believably well-formed characters. They go on this trip and they decide that um, they're going to camp for the night in this sort of like little remote parking spot where they can look at the stars. And so Fonda and Oates uh, proceed to get kind of drunk and they're out sitting by the river, like just talking and it's dark you know and they're being quiet and in the distance like across the river they see this like bonfire erupting. like oh what's going on here so they start you know looking through these binoculars they have at these people and creepily they see that it's a bunch of like it's men and women and they're all getting naked and like dancing together they're like oh man have we found like some kind of orgy and so they keep passing the binoculars back and forth until they witness a ritual sacrifice of this young woman <laughs> by a guy wearing like a goat mask um and at that point loretta switz like what are you doing come back to the rv you're me you're gonna be too drunk i don't want to drive in the morning and warren is just like shut the fuck up turn out the light but at that point the satanists see him right um so really great scene where the satanists are sort of like chasing them as they're trying to get away in the rv um shit there's another movie. oh so i think very much an inspiration this scene for mandy in a lot of ways in terms of like the cult and the way that it's filmed like chasing them mm -hmm. um mandy the 2018 um nicholas cage horror movie yeah. but anyway they get stuck in the river and then they at the last minute like are able to get the rv free and they get away but the satanists have like latched like caught onto the back of the rv and are smashing the window and they're sitting there trying to like beat them away with um ski poles and stuff and shovels and they finally knock him out and get away and they get to the sheriff and then the town and the sheriff's like okay like that's terrible we'll go back and investigate so they go back to the place where um they were parked and the sheriff's like well you know this is blood but we don't know if this is um human blood and maybe you didn't see what you really thought you saw because you were drunk so at this point it starts to like kind of work in the um untrustworthy like side characters um and really does i think a great job of like building that feeling of paranoia for you the viewer with you know this this cut these couple this these two couples um so he kind of blows them off and then they start to put like some stuff together and it's like well like when we were going to where we were parked like they kind of knew where to turn already and all these people are sort of like suspiciously watching them. And then um, the two women find a note 
while the guys are like going to take the sheriff to where the murder occurred um that's this cryptic like you know you need to be quiet or your bad things are going to happen to you so mode it be with like runes and stuff on it um really funny scene where the two women go to the library to check out books <laughs> on like yeah. satanism yeah. or whatever uh-huh. and, um so as they eventually progress like away from this town and their idea is that they're going to go to um, Amarillo in Texas and sort of report it in a major city. Um, they're sort of kind of like followed creepily by these, like they, they meet these different groups of people that are you know staring at them and sort of have like a little too much knowledge of their situation or a little too friendly. Um, finally, uh, the one um one woman's dog is dog is murdered while they're like at a bar with this couple they met at an rv park and that's when like the movie's like true horror like really escalates so there's rattlesnakes in the rv then they get in an accident and then um they become really paranoid and warren oates buys a shotgun and then there's these uh, trucks trying to run them off the road and they engage in like this kind of like almost like road warrior like warfare in the rv with these people mm-hmm. trying to kill them and then finally like they think they've gotten away and um their headlights were smashed so they have to park for the night and they're surrounded by the cult all of a sudden and it includes like all these people they've met along the way um who then like these flames erupt around them and then you know the implication is that they're they're dead at the end of the movie um for kind of running afoul of the satanistic cult um but again it it incorporates a lot of themes um we talked about like in the beginning of the podcast so you know these people with like some wealth that are trying to kind of like escape like return to nature style thing um and get away from the whatever the chaos of whatever modern life this idea of these cults like forming in these small places and also like one of the things i like the most about this movie is the idea of like the cult is like a network of these people in these small towns that are seemingly like innocuous but are really like this cabal of satanists that just exist in the rural parts of you know america in a lot of ways like kind of prescient to how no offense to anyone from texas because you know we have a lot of a lot of listeners from texas Mm -hmm. but kind of like what's happening in texas now where it's just this increasing like series of i don't know um like groupthink almost or mob mentality where um like on the surface they seem like really kind and you know agreeable friendly people but in reality it's just this you know whatever this network of not to say people in texas are satanists but you know in terms of like the way that politics is in texas there's definitely like a move away from center um by a large like number of people in that state um really well done uh i i mean warren oates and peter fonda are both pretty fantastic actors um this is one of i think three movies they did together um i love warren oates i think warren oates is the ultimate like grizzled man's man of the 70s in terms of just like a guy that looks like he chugs whiskey and yes smokes like 400 cigarettes a day um who i aspire to be like right now and really not 
again, a movie that's not really a horror movie for a large portion of it. It's more of, it's a mystery, and then it's kind of a thriller, and, like, with that Twilight zone element to it of, you know, just sort of, like, the slight turn of the screw, um, can you trust these people? Like, is this, like, a false face that you're seeing? And then when it becomes, like, a true horror movie, it's more of, again, like a, like an action horror, I would say, than, like, a traditional horror. Yeah, that, that that's one of my comments that I wrote down is like just how unique this movie is in the sense that it's all over the place. It is it's a horror movie involving cults. It's a paranoid thriller. It's an action movie. It's um, a road like what like a, what I don't know what those would be called like road dual, movie. Yeah, yeah, road movie like Duel was like you know like um it's yeah it's like all Shit, over the it's, place. It's a it, romantic comedy for the first like twenty five minutes. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and they're believable couples. Like it's yes. it's really well done yeah. in the sense. I mean, you know, Loretta Swit, Warnotes, Peter Fonda are all really accomplished actors. Um, it's just amazing like how much is invested in the idea of making you believe in them as people. Like they're not just whatever, like do sex machina inside the the concept of this movie. Like, like they're meant to be real believable people. And at the point when like, it's genuinely kind of sickening when they come back and the dog is, you know, hung on the outside of the RV. <clears throat> and you got almost like the Kitty Genovese moment where Warren Oates is like, you know, you fucking heard something. Like, they pried my, they pried our door open. Like, you didn't hear anything. You didn't see anything. And it's just all these old people in their, you know, bedclothes, like, standing there staring at them. But that becomes even more terrifying at the end when you realize that, like, all these people they've met along the way even in just like minor like the hitchhiker on the side of the road or you know just these minor things <clears throat> that you've seen through the course of the movie and if you've seen like any horror movies like you know what's coming for the most part right because basically the wicker man or midsummer or whatever but um still really well done um really effective um do you remember moriarty from uh Anacool 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 news? news yeah sure. so drew drew mcweeney yeah um tried to get this movie tried to remake this movie at one point in the 2000s but it fell apart so thank god for that um but yeah just a really entertaining movie <laughs> with some iconic actors from the 60s and 70s um filmed a lot at night and does a really good job of kind of the like that lynchian creepiness of like common places like places that shouldn't be creepy normally that the way he films and the way he films people um my favorite being the guy who's the <clears throat> sort of like king of the road um RVist, um that they meet in the rv park that takes him to the country bar and and the funny thing is is the whole time the cult is giving them the chance to just like just drop it and go you know what i mean like mm-hmm they're not sacrificed to the devil because that's usually like the horror of like movies like this, like in the wicker man, for instance, there's never any intention of letting him go in the wicker man. They're trying to build him to the point where he willingly is like bringing himself to that point here. They just want him to shut the fuck up and leave. Right. Um, you know, and Peter, Peter Fonda and Warren, it's, they can't leave well enough alone. And I, I, I think there's like, I, I think that's actually like the best, in movies like this when it's successful like that's the biggest horror is this idea that 
we're so insulated by the feeling of safety in a world of law that you can't comprehend that you're in danger, right? Because right. you think that because I'm doing the right thing, I'm righteous and I'm protected. And in reality, like trying to sort of subvert the under unwritten law or like the unspoken but understood law of these backwoods communities that's the thing that's going to get you killed so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, really well done though I, I really enjoyed seeing this movie again i haven't seen this movie and this is another one like probably 20 plus years since i've seen this movie but i i really enjoyed watching it again yeah and no, that was a fun movie um i thought i was surprised by it i didn't know what to expect i don't think i typically enjoy things involving like the road um I, honestly but um yeah i thought that was, was really clever really well done um i thought it was really t uh, like real tension at times which i didn't expect from them i don't know i don't know why i just underestimated this movie just based off the title um and the synopsis but i, I really did uh really tense at times like real tension i will say that i think the snake scene in this movie as someone who was terrified of snakes um i think this was maybe one of the more horrific snake scenes i've ever seen in a movie um only because the snakes are like left kind of hidden in the rv by the cult members right and they're poisonous they're rattlers um and they they have it go on for so long yes yes it's not like these guys like immediately like overpower these snakes or like they don't know what to do right and it's in a tiny space yeah <laughs> and they're and that woman just screams yes the entire yeah. time it's like um it's just as annoying as like the uh like the phone ringing in um once upon a time in america like it's just incessant right like it's just it puts you on edge by hearing the sounds um uh and, and i think it works even maybe better than this than that comparison but um it works really well here just because like her screaming just like kind of almost is like driving you a little batty hearing it constantly and like increasing that tension and pressure as you're watching it uh really well done scene um and i thought really choreographed really well in terms of the filmmaking of like them just kind of grabbing like what's available in realistic ways and trying to deal with it and uh but yeah, I, I I thought it was one of the best snake scenes I've I've ever seen. It really um kind of like made my skin crawl uh, watching it. Yeah. What makes my skin crawl is the fact that I feel like Peter Fonda looks like he smells like a pint of gin, um just by like the sheen of his skin. Like you, I don't know, man. I can't explain it, but um he's he definitely has like some gin blossoms, like going on. <laughs> uh just to tie this into the quick cage real quick did you see that that some that apparently this was the basis for drive angry like the idea of this movie yeah although did you ever watch drive angry no that's your job maybe well, yeah, and i did it well okay. um maybe in like the most basic pretense but it did they're the wildly different movies sure sure in this movie there's never an element that even if the satanists believe in what they're doing there's no element that they're actually affecting magic or dark forces on these people they're just chasing them and following them and they're so omnipresent where these people are 
and again because they're not taking precautions because to them they're protected by like the safety of law or whatever mm-hmm. um whereas drive angry is 100 percent like a supernatural movie yeah, yeah obviously somebody yeah right i understand I, I i know the difference i remember you telling me about drive angry it sounded fucking terrible but um it was really it was really fun <laughs> i really enjoy that movie for as bad as it is yeah so yeah, so um, this is not free anywhere, but worth watching um, if you feel like spending $3 or whatever. Yeah, and I, and I didn't do my due diligence. Um, Jack Start, the director of this, uh, is probably best known for, uh, I didn't reckon, I knew I recognized his name. He's in First Blood. He plays like the evil deputy in uh-huh. First Blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, he, he looks like he's a pretty interesting career um, as kind of like, you know, an actor. He's kind of like all over the place, actor, director, or like, you know, um, some person at times and stuff like that. But yeah, that's, that's cool. All right. Number two on your list is the TV movie Trilogy of Terror is directed by Dan Curtis. It stars Karen Black. Um, it has a 93% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 56% from audiences. So you want to tell us a little bit about this one and uh, why it's so high on the list? Uh, so this movie is probably most famous for its um, third segment. Uh, the Trilogy of Terror refers to the fact that this is an anthology um, of three short like vignettes all starring Karen Black um the third segment is the one that i think that i mean i 100 percent like was the most notable when i was a kid which is the zuni fetish doll segment um so we'll talk about that one first because again i think most also, famous also but, the one that critics talk about the most as well just so you know yeah. most famous but probably least interesting in terms of Agreed. um just what it is i guess mm-hmm. Uh, so the basic premise of this segment is Karen Black is this mousy woman who's um, kind of like browbeaten by her overbearing mother that you never see on screen. Um, she's dating this man who's a doctor or something like that, um, but she's recently moved out of her mother's house. So she has bought for her new boyfriend this carved african fetish doll that supposedly contains the spirit of this great hunter and is bound by this like gold chain around its waist and oh no i'm sorry he's a um, professor of anthropology that's why she buys it for him because he's an anthropologist and she finds it like fascinating like the story behind it um but she has to cancel her date with him because her mother just kind of like guilts her into it so she's looking at the doll at one point and she puts it down and as she puts it down it kind of knocks this chain off of its waist then the doll comes to life and basically stalks her around her house over the course of the evening um she eventually is able to overpower it shove it into the oven where she was preparing um a turkey or some shit um and it's it burns up but when she opens the oven um the spirit that was inside the doll kind of like goes into her and she becomes like this zuni warrior and that's how the the short ends um it's really well filmed there's a lot of really great tension to it it scared the shit out of me when i was like five or six years old Mm -hmm. like i was terrified of that little fucking doll running all over the place right um which really is like a theme of my childhood because that and the fucking clown doll and poltergeist Mm. like ruined 
my childhood for having like ever anything that was like a child sized creature or like toy inside my room. Um, really, it's it's a well filmed segment. Black is really good in it, and actually, really kind of makes you sad in the human parts of it when she's like talking to her mom and kind of getting bullied by her, and um, it's just it's really good performance by black in all three of these segments um it's the most horrific segment of the the trilogy like the one that really is like overtly horror um but also there's less least amount of complexity to it just because it's very basic in its premise of her trying to um you know survive the attack by this this creature based on so the whole trilogy of terror is richard matheson stories basically um that are adapted you know to the screen or to you know television screen um the first actually we'll we'll do them backwards because i think that goes from least like interesting to most interesting mm-hmm. uh so the middle segment um has black playing dual roles of marianne and millicent M- millicent and Teresa. Yeah. yeah. Um, two sisters who are vastly different. Uh, Millicent, who's a mousy, um, spectacle-wearing, like, sort of like prude um, that rails, rails against her sister, who's like a more liberated, sexually adventurous woman who, you know, has blonde hair and wears miniskirts. Um, Millicent is kind of infatuated with... Um, her doctor uh and then Teresa is or Therese is having a sexual relationship with fuck what is he anyway so she's like sexually adventurous and Millicent is very like agitated by her sexual adventurousness so it goes back and forth where you see scenes with Millicent talking and Therese talking um and finally uh towards the end of the vignette um or a couple times like her doctor comes to see um millicent but she won't see him and at one point she tells him like i don't need you anymore you know like don't come around anymore um there's a scene where millicent goes outside to comfort this little girl who says that therese came out and what is it like destroyed her doll or something Mm -hmm. like that um so it really plays up this idea that therese is kind of like this wanton like jezebel who doesn't care about anybody in millicent's you know this bookish like prude that wants therese to whatever like calm down and stop being such a whore um and the and the end of the movie is that um they come to find that therese has been murdered by millicent and they remove therese's wig and it turns out that it is millicent that it was the most complex case of multiple personalities that this doctor had ever seen um, is the way that it's phrased. So yeah, Teresa had like slept with their father and killed their mother. Um, yeah. That, that's their, the whole incest angle. I completely forgot about that. Right, um, yeah. That's brought up in. Um, so really well filmed in the sense that, I mean, you can tell that it's black playing both roles, mm-hmm. but, she really looks completely different as Millicent um but really good job like really great performance there and um 
interesting premise. So then the first um, the first segment of the trilogy of terror is called, yeah Julie, where Karen Black plays um, again like this bookish mousy English professor Julie Eldridge. Um, fuck, who's the actor? Robert Burton plays Chad Rogers, who's this college student um, who when he's sitting outside kind of like oogling ladies with his friend um, one day sees Julie walk past and he's like, you know what? Like, I wonder what she looks like under all those clothes. Cause Julie's wearing like, you know, really long, like multi-layered dress with a sweater and stockings and whatever. Um, so he starts to kind of stalk her in a way. Um, kind of grooming her to try and get her to go out on a date with them. Um, so they go to a drive-in together and he basically, he, well, not even basically, he date rapes her, like he roofies her and then take picture, takes pictures of her naked and then basically forces her to be his, um, his sex slave almost mm-hmm. uh, under the threat of, you know, I'll show people your pictures, like I'll ruin your career. Um, she goes, you know, you think she's like unwillingly going along with it. Um, her roommate is concerned because she's coming home late and she seems upset. And um, He calls her one day or he leaves her a note inside a book one day in class saying like, you know, you're going to come over to my house tonight after work or, you know, after class, you're going to come over to my house after class. Um, basically he's going to like share her with his friends or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, and I guess the implication is that that happens, that she gets, like, yes. gang-raped. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there's finally a scene where they're together, and he's he's kind of ordering her around, and she's like, you know what, I'm done with this. And he's, you know, you're done? Like, we're done when I say we're done. And she's like, no, you know, I'm kind of bored. Her whole entire demeanor changes. She becomes very, like, self-confident and assured. Um, and she reveals to him, basically, that she psychically put the suggestions in his head to notice her and want to pursue her and you know put like basically put the roofie in her drink like everything that's happened has been manipulated by her and as he's becoming less and less sure of himself he realizes he's been poisoned and he's like what do you did you drug my drink she's like i didn't drug your drink i just killed you right um poisons him sets his photography equipment on fire so his house burns down um and then the last scene of the movie is her in bed and being comforted by um comforted by her roommate and then after her roommate leaves pulling out a scrapbook where you see like all these pages of other men that have you know died mysteriously um implying that she's done this like almost like a black widow uh, multiple times um and the movie ends with this young man who needs help, like tutoring help with his um, English homework, showing up at her front door and implying that it's gonna, you know, happen again, continuing. So, um, every single one of these segments is really entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, maybe my favorite, Karen Black. 
really good performances by her in all of these movies. Um, it's all they're all based on Matheson short stories, so there's that because one of the best science fiction horror writers of the sixties and seventies. Um, all very progressively feminist, which is another interesting thing that um not really true in uh the devil's reign but i think true everywhere else where um you know movies that are really progressively like pro-women like where it's not just the women characters aren't just wallflowers or set dressing or whatever i mean like legitimately even in um race with the devil like those women are fully formed characters and they're self-assured and you know interesting so I think, especially for being something that would have been shown on TV, um, very progressive, very, um, especially in all of them, like interesting looks at power dynamics mm-hmm. that exist with women with each other, women with their parents, women with like their sexual partners. Um, none of it is like easily answered or. Um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but you know, that's, it's all reasoned and complex and interesting. Um, and just all really, you know, well-filmed. And I think not something that you would think would have been shown on television in the mid seventies, but I guess that we were at a point where we were maybe at our least puritanical as a society at that point. Like if there's a tipping point to it, it's probably right there where we were, had swung the most away from the puritanical mindset of the fifties and we're not quite yet into the puritanical mindset of the early to mid eighties with, um, the moral, moral majority and all that shit. Sure. Um, the Reagan era of, you know, back to traditional values, back to family values. Um, so you probably could get away with showing something like this on television, but, yeah um yeah you think like i mean like this is like norman lear coming into like those shows coming into like being like all in the family and stuff like that is around this time period so you certainly have like a lot of you do have a lot more liberalism like on um uh liberal thought on television at this time so but yeah it still doesn't feel right like especially that first one like the the, the first one's the one that stands out to me as something that still kind of holds up today um where the third one while it's i understand from a horror standpoint it's really interesting and i thought all of these were good in their own way i agree with you i thought the first one is the one that really stood out to me is like what the hell am i watching that was done in 1975 and then when i saw it was a tv movie i was like what the hell um because that is playing with sexual power dynamics like um I don't know if I've I, if I see anything like that like until you know better than me like the nineties maybe I mean again like um, there's probably foreign stuff that I don't know but like for that kind of revert role reversal and all of it yeah there's um, a lot of um, giallo that kind of delves into the same mm. uh, ideas um but America was never super comfortable with the idea of. Uh, movies that kind of discuss and show sexuality in a way other than titillation or exploitation like where it's more 
asking hard questions kind of about women using sex as a way to kind of gain power in a relationship or um the idea that you know sexual abuse can lead to um mental instability or um Mm -hmm. whatever right um and these are all things that very prevalent in like especially italian um yeah film from around this time but definitely not an american film so yeah um uh, we we could spend a whole probably hour i think talking about that first segment um if you well like i could ask questions and stuff for like for a long time like about that first segment because i think it's like that that powerful and like has so many different facets to it um uh, that could be explored but i i definitely think it's something that's worth watching i'm pretty sure this was free somewhere too on tubi or something i think mm-hmm. right? i think so yeah um definitely no, no, I, that, I, I watched it on prime i think maybe that was it but it's free for frank somewhere but. right i watched it free i know too so um that could be it but yeah i i i, I really want to get across the idea that i think that the first part is like still really worth watching and holding up i think the whole thing is, but um i think that first part is still kind of relevant today as like a think piece of like what you feel about it and, and kind of playing around with some of those ideas in your head yeah the interesting thing about this movie too is that um in the big box video era this is maybe there's very few movies that are as omnipresent in every video store ever as the trilogy of terror with the zuni mm-hmm. fetish doll like mm-hmm. prominently displayed on the cover um yeah. there's several versions of this vhs uh, that existed but the giant um Elvira's uh, Mistress of the Dark um, series clamshell of this movie is the one that like was everywhere, right? So. Yeah, that's how I first saw it by the Elvira series. Um, she has some good stuff that she put out, like Turn of the Screw, this um, Monster Party that we talked about, or um, Monster Club or whatever it was called. Mm-hmm. We talked about a few years ago, like all were Elvira movies. Sort of like those hidden gems of the mid seventies. She was all about like putting out, probably because they were easy to get the rights to in this country. But whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I. It's not a long movie, and if you can handle anthologies, I think it's well worth watching all three segments of it. Personally, yeah, as someone who <clears throat> is always looking for you to tell me about good anthologies, because I'm not as much of a fan of them. Um, I thought this was a really good one. Yeah. Yeah, this didn't make the list that we did previously just because I I knew I would want to use it on a when we did the seventies, so right. I think I'd probably already made the seventies list at that point, actually. Probably. Um, all right. Have you've seen Making Contact, right? That's that's the doll that scared me when I was a kid. That's the only doll that ever scared me when I was a kid. It's also yes. called jo- Joey, I think, like overseas. Yeah um there's another movie that's cameron's closet does that have a killer doll in it maybe there's some other movie from around that time that's got like a killer i well, think we've had this magic. conversation like eight times in our life um magic but... has the killer doll um and dolls you know 100 is about killer dolls um 
yeah, I have seen this movie. I think we've had this conversation three times, probably at least three times in life where I've actually looked up and been like, oh yeah, I do remember this movie. Um, yeah, Cameron's Closet, Cameron's Terror, um, alternately titled. It is um, surprise, both of them are free on Tubi. <laughs> both making contact in Cameron's Closet. So maybe I'll watch both of those, double feature. And again, that's like one of the most horrific things um, that you have is like when you're a little kid um especially for our age group because we definitely had um stuffed animals and toys that were like larger size and meant to look like kind of horrifying um the idea of those things coming to life you know right. like toys when your backs are turned um to quote tracy morgan um, yes. it's a random quote yes uh that's exactly right yeah uh <laughs> Yeah, it's like my macho king like wrestling buddy like coming alive and like trying to kill me oh, like my brother had a teddy ruxpin and a my buddy and like mm-hmm. all these friggin life-size yeah, sure. goddamn toys that would like talk to you did i ever tell you the teddy ruxpin story probably but that i like so not to get into like a best 30 minutes style like episode but um you know teddy ruxpin was a um animatronic doll that you would put a tape in and the um whatever the audio of the tape would cause teddy ruxpin's eyes and mouth to move in a way like he was speaking to you so i recorded a tape like of terrible things and put it in and like played it so teddy ruxpin was like rah i'm gonna come to life and kill you like whatever for my my poor jesus frank yeah as yeah Right. I was a real treat when I was a youngster. Uh, I had to tell you. Yeah, I had one of those Teddy Rocks Rocks and um dolls. Yeah. Yeah, we had them. There was um there was some Coleco doll. I can't remember what it was called, but it was like my buddy, but it was called something else. Co- Cody or something like that. I never had a, a my buddy. I had I just had a um uh what were those things called? Kid sister? Cabbage cabbage. Cabbage oh, cabbage patch kid, yeah, yeah. You missed my subtle shade there. So, oh, what? Oh, I'm sorry. What? The uh, so my buddy was a a dude, you know, right. wearing like overalls and a hat. Yeah. Um. So because you obviously couldn't have like a unisex toy in the 1980s, um, there was kid sister that was the same size as my buddy, but was a chick. Mm. Um. So my buddy, my buddy, kid sister, kid sister. Oh, I see. Um. So I was implying that you're a girl, right? right? Yes, I got you. I was still, I was too busy trying to think of Cabbage Patch. Um, kids. I had a Cabbage Patch kid too. Yeah, Matthew James was my Cabbage Patch kid's name. Mine was just named Clyde. <laughs> That's creepy in and of yeah. itself. Your, I was, I was, I, I was. <laughs> what? He Go was, ahead. he was, he was a friggin' like drug pusher. <laughs> Clyde? No, Clyde is a Cl- Clyde is. No, Clyde is definitely like the old creepy dude that like gives you a quarter in his overalls and is secretly just trying to like you know like move his like index finger over the back of your hand when he hands you the corner just to get a little fucking feel. Um, uh, that's um, I just uh, revealed hor- too much hor- about, about my childhood. Um, horrifyingly specific. Yeah, it was, it was it was an honor to my to my neighbor, my grand grandparents' neighbor, Clyde. Um, who 
used to give me candy and quarters over the fence. Hey. Like, <laughs> I was molested. Not molested. Just, 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 just little, little, just, little, just a little touch on the, on the, on the, on the, on the forearm hand. Like, not molested. Just slightly groomed. Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, let's talk about deep red. Oh. <laughs> So number one on your list is Deep Red. Um, is directed by Dario Argento. It stars David Hemmings and Daria Nicolodi. It has a 93% from critics and 86% from audiences. So you want to tell us about this Argento movie and uh, why you put it number one on the list? Um, so possibly the most influential giallo of all time. Um, definitely for a long time I would say considered the best giallo of all time um, it's a story of this is Argento's first real kind of delving into using the supernatural I think in his movies where it's um, there's a supernatural element to um, what actually kind of starts the murders happening um, there's a the movie opens with a scene of somebody being murdered while this song is playing in the background um in a silhouette basically or a sh- shadow against a wall um so then it cuts to like years later and there's this psychic who's um doing this presentation in front of this audience where she's like kind of reading people's minds and she freaks out because she reaches out and there's like this darkness there and they're talking to her and she's like, yeah, I think I probably could definitely identify like whose mind I was reading. <coughs> so she's murdered that evening. The murder is witnessed from a distance by this guy, um, Marcus, I guess is his name. Um, so she's murdered. So then there's an investigation, like what happened to her? Um, the guy had run into his friend Carlo, who's drunk out on the street. Um, and there's a series of um, murders that occur where people that are kind of like related to um, Marcus, who's investigating the murder, start turning up dead. Like at one point, um, there's this woman that wrote this. They, they find out that there's this house. Uh, what is it? The house of the screaming child or screaming 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 um that there's like an urban legend about um that they think might be related to uh this woman's death um so it's basically a whodunit um all stemming from this woman's like psychic premonition of this murderer um, with a lot of red herrings so go to the house and they discover this um mural that's like hidden underneath plaster of like a child with a knife, like murdering someone. Um, and they're led to this boys school, I guess it's a boys school, like a primary school where they look in this, this kid, this file, and there's the same pictures drawn. Um, and it leads them to Carlos. So you're kind of led to believe that Carlos is the one doing the murders. Um, I lost the, the thread of this movie. Um, eventually, what it turns out is that uh, Marcus thought that the, the, one of the things that he is looking at is there was he th- thinks there was a picture on the wall, um, and he's trying to figure out like why was this picture removed? Because when he goes back into the apartment where the psychic was murdered, um, 
it's different. And it turns out that it wasn't a picture that he was looking in a mirror and that he actually saw the murderer's face and that the murderer was Martha, who's Carlo's mother. Um, and what you find out eventually is that um, they find this desiccated corpse like hidden behind a wall in the house. And it turns out that um, Martha was the one that had murdered uh, Carlo's father in front of him on Christmas, I guess, when he was a, a child. Or he mur murdered her, his father in front of Carlo when he was a child and it turned Carlo into um, a drunk and basically um, was always like redrawing the incident because he couldn't get past it. And that's what turned him into an alcoholic. Um, so the end of the movie is um, Martha trying to kill uh, Marcus and getting her necklace stuck in a elevator and it rips her head off and she dies. Um, and then there's a pool of deep red blood haha, at the bottom mm -hmm. of the elevator. Right. Um, there's a lot of things in this movie that kind of set the stage, kind of pull from the past of like um, older Giallo, especially even stuff like Bird with Crystal Plumage and um, what else had Argento done before this? He has one other movie before this one. Anyway, kind of pulls from that and then sets the stage for future Giallo to pull from. Um, again, this is the common trope of a childhood trauma that has led to... Um, Cat and Nine Tales? Is that yeah, Cat and Nine Tales. Yeah, that's it. Um, that's led to someone becoming a murderer later in life. Um, definitely has the red herring of it being Carlo being the one committing yeah. these murders, um, which is really well done and really like pushes you in that direction. Mm -hmm. Um, has a lot of like really uh, iconic scenes like the um, shit what is she there's the woman that gets like um, drowned or whatever and then finding the corpse behind the wall and the um, fresco behind the plaster and the repeated motif of the song playing um, when people are murdered um, it also is really one of the better movies that like hiding the killer's gender and identity through the use of like gloves and heavy clothes although that's a pretty common trope in giallo anyway to keep you guessing as whether or not it's a dude or a lady like murdering people um hemmings and nicolini nicolini are really good in it um i like them both quite a bit not hemmings um yeah it's Heming. hemmings right yeah. sorry i always get david hemmings confused with Maybe John Saxton. Like I can't, I can't picture the dude. There's like several American guys or British, the English-speaking actors that are in like a lot of these giallos. Right. John Saxton, David Hemmings, um, man, the guy from the man from Deep River. I can't remember his name. Anyway, so there's things from this movie that would then be like reused, just in terms of like the ideas in later. Um, Argento movies. In my opinion, Argento's best um, giallo is uh, Tenabre, um, Unsane mm -hmm. in this country. Um, but Deep Red is very influential. Um, certainly one that I think most horror aficionados when I was a kid or when I was young and like really learning about it, like kind of considered like the masterpiece of giallo for the time. Um, 
it marks again Argento kind of moving into being okay with using like a supernatural element mm-hmm. in his movies that you would then see in like the um, the Three Mothers movies, so Suspiria, Inferno, and then much later, um, whatever the fuck that terrible movie is called, Lady of Tears or whatever. Um, but yeah, really well filmed. Um, kind of the masterpiece I think of maybe next to Suspiria of Argento's use of like color and night and like lighting um, you really feel like that the house of the screaming child or whatever is like haunted when they go into it the way they film it and then the reveal of the corpse inside the wall is really well done and really horrific um, and again just very well the plot twist is well hidden enough where like it the first time you see this movie it's surprising like who the killer is um now that i've fucking spoiled it i guess so if you've never seen the movie my bad um but yeah i I really enjoy deep red a lot yeah i've seen deep red five or six times maybe so let me ask you did you watch the hour and 44 minute version or did you watch the like two hour and six minutes i think is how long it is what did i text you the other day when you asked me right no you're right you you watched the shorter version yeah yeah i was trying to let us have that actual conversation but that's cool like i just revealed it like (laughs) i i I, I didn't remember like the minutes exactly like um, so what what's on arrow right now is that where you watched it was on arrow no i watched it on shutter um they have the same one so I want to say either Tubi or somewhere on Prime, there's the longer version. So there's okay. a, the international cut of this movie um, has some sex scenes in it, um, some comedy in it, and just generally like longer versions of the deaths. doesn't really add anything to the movie. And then there's the American version, which cuts, I think it's like 21 minutes out of the total runtime of the movie. Um, but still keeps the basic pro- oh there's some other stuff with the mythology of the house of the screaming child when they go to the mm. um the school to kind of research it um where there's like more of like urban legend associated with it um is it uses a red herring in that case that i i think it's a red herring i mean even though it's like the the, the key to the whole mystery mm-hmm. it's a red herring anyway because again i there's sort of like the implication that it might be um supernatural from the beginning uh the way that um argento sets it up um i think it's one of the more believable psychological um reasons for like killings uh because usually it's like the priest molested me when i was a kid now i gotta murder everybody in my mama's panties or whatever um and this one being that you know i watched my mom kill somebody so i'm an alcoholic and a fucking mess because i can't like dime my mom out and i'm a psycho i'm a psychopath and i got to protect my kid you know yeah yeah. i mean comparatively speaking yes yeah it's one of the better (laughs) it's it's one of the best i've seen so far um yeah but really well filmed um the version that you watched the hour and 45 minute version is 100% the way to go um, which usually I wouldn't say that when you have a director's cut style version but 
it cleans a lot of it up and it makes it much more concise i think and tight and is a better narrative than watching like the longer version so if you've never seen deep red watch the arrow slash shutter um version that's up because it's it's the better experience really yeah and i i have not done that yet because i was just trying to get through it but um there is a version of it on joe bob's show on shutter as well i think um where joe bob gives you know does what he does gives yeah context and um you know like all kinds of trivia and shit like that this is the movie that solidified argento as like truly the working master of like italian horror um (laughs) that makes sense i think this i'd like this better than snobre I mean, I know, I know you're a big fan of that, and I liked it too. Like, it was the best one I had seen, I think. Like, I actually liked it better than, what was it? I actually said I liked it better than Suspiria, I think, um, which kind of, like, I think was controversial, but um, Tanabre. But, um, yeah, I think this was, in terms of plotting, at least, I think this is the best. Yeah. So far, out of all the giallos we discussed, this is ter- the best in terms of plotting and motivation and actually making sense um completely all the way through yeah deep Deep red and tenabre are basically companion pieces in the same way that um suspiria inferno and like phenomena are Mm -hmm. companion pieces um rooted more in like just psychological trauma as opposed to any kind of supernatural element right um but for a long time like argento was it was argento um umberto lenzi uh fuck who else was doing there was just like oh um Fulci for a while like just these people that were making these amazing like horror movies from Italy um and Argento is at the forefront of that so but yeah um he was always able to pull uh English-speaking actors in and work really well with them to do um movies that were easier to show on the American screen because you didn't have to dub them terribly or you know subtitle them which no one has ever been into um yeah i really enjoy this movie um one of like the holy grail movies for me when i was a a little kid to see um pretty iconic video box art of the kind of decapitated doll like hanging like with its limp neck over a pool of blood um which that was is fascinating in, because the Italian movie poster, have you seen that like before? Um, have you looked it up on Wiki? Let me look. Um, just look up the Wiki Deep Red and you'll see it like immediately. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Vertigo. Right. Um <clears throat> which is which is interesting. Um so it's like so is the idea then that the Americans leaned much more into the horror of things? Yeah, I think so. I mean you're always gonna get if you look at horror, if you look at movie posters from Europe in general, there's a much more Art Deco approach, and especially, especially in like Eastern European countries, um, almost a uh, abstr- abstractionism to the way they do movie posters. Mm-hmm. Whereas in America, it's about immediately capturing your um, the deepest recesses of your imagination um by showing you like typically like painted images like look at that race with the devil poster so if anyone's listening um look that up i mean it's it's all very much about showing you 
this is what you're going to get or like titillating you or drawing you in and i think that the, the deep red poster does a good job of that right um i just wanted to bring up or video because... box i guess i don't know if that was the american poster right yeah the video box at least yeah um what's up with umberto Lindsay? like i feel like he's a guy that like always gets mentioned briefly like when we talk about horror from italy or horror of the 70s and then i don't think we've ever talked about an umberto Lindsay movie have we yeah he's a fucking hack um (laughs) (laughs) tell me how you really feel jesus i mean it's true like he has a lot of movies that i love but at the Mm -hmm. same time i mean he was just kind of a a genre filmmaker that did whatever he felt like he would make money with uh, gotcha. so let's, let's, okay. let's look and see what's worth watching because i just um, saw he had a movie called eyeball from this year that i've never seen it okay um so there's a uh, spasmo which is a giallo which is pretty good and that's like 74 oh um, that's he, eyeball okay it's called eyeball over here but, oh okay yeah. sorry well then i have seen that yeah um he was really big into like the cannibal movies for a little bit so he did eaten alive and uh cannibal ferox which is uh make them die slowly um in this country uh one of the more um if you have trouble watching cannibal holocaust like cannibal ferox is worse in some Mm -hmm. ways like it's very much just about being exploitive towards women and um, just showing like the most horrific stuff. That's really it. Um, yeah. Okay. Did a movie called Ghost House that Orion and I find to be pretty funny. Um, about like this ghost girl. Uh, I thought he did. It must be Ruggiero Diodato that did that. I don't know what we would ever talk about. We we might talk about cannibal ferox sometimes if we ever have to do like cannibal movies mm. um i might include eyeball or maybe um so sweet so perverse is also a decent one that he directed um that's another good giallo from like the early 70s or i guess it's like 70 69 whatever yeah but there's really not much to say about him other than that mm. i don't know but Cannibal Ferox was one of my favorite, like, I, I enjoyed Cannibal Ferox more than I enjoyed Cannibal Holocaust for a long time. Like, I would have told you it was the better movie. Okay. Uh, Make Them Die Slowly. I actually had, like, a t-shirt for it and stuff, and I had the VHS at one point, but that was my, um, my, my first Yahoo account was, um, ulenzi at yahoo.com before I had to like get rid of it and create one that was more, you know, when I was applying for jobs and hmm. I didn't want to have to explain what you Lindsay was. Right. Sure. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that was God, my dude makes, like, for a really, little bit. Really violent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exploitive. Sexual, sexually exploitive. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's good look. <laughs> good look on the jobs. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Uh, all right. trying to think if there's anything else i wanted to ask you about deep red or argento like do i'm assuming you prefer his supernatural movies more than his giallo movies or am i it's a mixed bag it's either way but if i had to rank 
just off the top of my head, like mm-hmm. Argento. Um, I would say Phenomena is one. Tenabre <laughs> is two. Uh-huh. Um, Suspiria. Uh, Deep Red. Four. Maybe Inferno is five. Um, maybe Bird with Crystal Plumage is five. But, you know, it's it's a mixture. I love the way he uses light and color, and I think that there's just a period of time where supernatural or not, like he's on point there, and that's from deep red up to um Tenabre phenomena, like you know, that early eighties stuff. Um and then he just becomes a little too crass in his filmmaking. Um opera and uh the card player i guess like that like the late 80s early 90s era i'm not a huge fan of so much it's, but right is um did you have trauma on a list at one point is that the one we watched that i like really like hated, hated? yeah is it one where there's a girl with like needles yeah, yeah, yeah. it's she, yeah. piper uh, piper laurie's in it yep that's it yeah and she like felt like yeah she just like just phoned the entire performance in. yeah yeah that's that's the last terrible um that's the last argento movie that i really enjoy and i don't even really enjoy it but like i would say that i like that movie um he really falls off and a lot of it is him sexualizing his daughter is really uncomfortable so when he starts putting uh asia argento right um in a lot of stuff and showing her naked and shit um it kind of becomes creepy and it's sort of so she's got a lot of me too stuff against her um from the past 20 years with the way that she treated younger male actors um Just, yeah, one specifically but i you know it's hard to falter when you consider like how she was raised and yeah, it's almost like it's an endless cycle right yeah but i've I don't know that I've liked. I didn't like Giallo. I didn't like you Mother like of the, Tears. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that movie is completely tone deaf and has nothing in common with any of his previous like Three Mothers movies. Yeah. Um, Lacrimosa, I guess, is Mother of Tears. But um, yeah, I have to watch Opera at some point. Um, just to see. But. Opera's fine. Um, you've never seen Cat of Nine Tales? I would say you should see Cat of Nine Tales. Um, I feel like I watched that on Shutter at some point, um, but I'll I'll double check. Um, I know he didn't direct it, but you don't like Demons, do you? No, Demons is fine. I like that yeah. movie. Okay. I don't love it. I mean, I think that I think you and Ryan like it more than I do, but it's not yeah. like I dislike it. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that any time that like I don't have some huge mark out. <laughs> to a movie that like you guys have a huge mark out to that somehow like oh frank doesn't like that movie but it's just oh well, you're that you're like the horror king to us like i mean like it, so I, I think it makes sense like we we just expect you to like be like oh yeah it's really good and then like especially if it's like something like oh i thought this was really good and like you're like yeah, it's fine yeah, it's okay like you know it's like oh we can actually think like <laughs> I just I think there's an assumption that I make about horror movies that it's like I'm always going to like them less than you, right? For well, some reason, I've but, seen so many that there's just yeah varying degrees to how much I'm going to like any movie. Yeah, um, I was really taken by demons, like when yeah, I demons when I first, like 
when I first saw it, and it's always like kind of stuck in my head. Is the problem is, is there's like three other movies from right around the same time. They're the exact same movie as Demons. Yeah, really. So it's kind of like diminishing returns to me. Is that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, sure, that makes sense. Like Demons, A Night of the Demons, and Demons Two, and ah, uh, what's that other fucking one? Uh, there's another like. And it might be Demons too, because they all get like fucking released in such weird ways. Demons is the one that is in the movie theater, right? The movie theater. Yeah, right. okay, yeah, yeah. That's one. There's some really great stuff to that movie too. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I enjoy that movie. It's just not one of my favorite horror movies. Yeah. Um. There's another. There's a. Uh, I wish I could remember the title. Chilean or maybe Peruvian horror movie from the same time that's really similar to that. Hmm. I can't remember what it's called though. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like Demons. Fine. Yeah. All right. So uh, next week, uh, episode one thirty two will be a deep dive into the Lost Boys. I probably should have said this earlier, um, but. Uh, will be that'll be the episode next week so if you haven't watched the lost boys in a long time uh, maybe you want to check it out before um the episode again and then listen to us kind of like give our thoughts about it after what like uh 40 years or something like that yeah um <laughs> uh, not so quite not quite 40 but still close enough uh, we should and, make orion come on and do a deep dive on the um obi-wan kenobi series i you know what i i'm i'm not interested in talking about that series at all i think um yeah you are i'm not it's um whatever uh i i changed i i changed my mind about um about it since last night oh well of course you did you had to right of course you did um got to justify it um and so that's that's next week and then we'll uh the other two episodes for the month of july will be finally after three years the top five superhero movies outside the mcu and then coming back with the top five horror movies of 1976 as we continue along in the 70s yeah that's that's a good list too yeah i'm, I'm only two movies in both i've never seen both i think really great movies so far so yeah i'm excited uh, actually i have seen one of them sorry um, I'll be rewatching that. I did not like it 15 years ago. But all right. So thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, have a good week, and we'll be back next week with yep. the Lost Boys. Deuces.